Welcome back to another hour of Sky Shower. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. I believe this is episode 105. 105. 105. Nice. 105. <laughs> okay, well, um, this evening, uh, I think we have a pretty good lineup here. Uh, before we do jump into that, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel if you like our content. Leave any comments down below. We would greatly appreciate that as well. And... Um, Thank you to all of our new subscribers. We've had a few new subscribers on uh, YouTube and some on uh, in our uh, audio platforms as well. So thank you very much. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, for this evening, we do have the uh, Arbeg 19 Trivon. Trivon. Nailed it. I don't know if Trivan. I did. Trivan. Uh, anyways, uh, it's another Arbeg here. So looking forward to it. Um, the smoky pineapple sounds like it's an interesting flavor. They'll come through on that, hopefully. Uh, with that, uh, from there, we'll have our shout-outs and get-it-togethers. And then we went to, to kind of keep in the theme of Creed, in, in <laughs> essence. Maybe more of like the essence of Rocky. But um, we did go uh, to uh, Pete's Philly, uh, Philly Cheesesteaks for dinner, and that will be our restaurant review. And then our uh, smart Smarter Challenge is going to be uh, the movie review of Creed 3. All right, well, this evening's scotch is undoubtedly going to be delectable. This is the Ardbeg. 2019 19-year-old scotch. So this is their TB slash zero one. And with this, we've got some uh, interesting facts and fun with this scotch. So a couple of the basics as um, you guys may or may not already know, uh, this uh, the first edition of Tribe and Drapped in 2019. Um, and a lot of people were instant fans. We're about to try it for the first time, and I am super excited about that. Um, it's a 19-year-old Isla single malt scotch. Um, it's the oldest Ardbeg edition uh, to the distillery's permanent lineup. Now Trivan has settled into annual batch status, so they've got a 20 and a 21, um, which Ardbeg is describing as rare and ever-changing with slight changes to cask selection with each release. So with that, I love, I think they're doing a little bit of the uh, McAllen style where they're taking something great and having fun with it each and every year. The scotch, this scotch is matured in American oak and Oloroso sherry casks, um, 19 years, and is considered the epitome of aged Ardbeg. Um, part of a highly sat after and collectible series um, with this. It's all based on or inspired by Isla's Trivan Beach. So, man, I am ready for some beach weather, by the way. Colorado has been cold, not necessarily terrible, but very cold. Um, it is masterfully impossible to understand just how great this well-balanced scotch is about to taste in 
and on our mouths and palates. Um, it's a risky resigned to the furthest reaches of the Ardbeg warehouse. So with this, in 2021, when they, everyone, the world was locked down, Ardbeg still went to the far end of their warehouse and made a 2021 year for the release of the Ardbeg 19 Trivan. We're visiting this one as we start our third year on Scotch Hour. And uh, two years ago, we had our first Scotch for Scotch Hour, the Ardbeg 10. So it was very fitting that the Ardbeg 19 Trivan started off, kicked off our third year of Scotch Hour. Starting off the, the very original with Ardbeg and now our third year with Ardbeg. Uh, I think we'd have to take, go back and take a look at what we did for the beginning of uh, our second year. I don't remember, but um, this is kind of exciting to go yeah, like hit up uh, our big again for the beginning of our third year. Uh, anything else you want to say about that one? No, I'm just ready to get started. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I guess we should probably just revisit the history real quick again. Uh, our big was founded in 1815 by John McDougall. He took out a license as a legitimate distillery. Uh, way back then, there was like a little bit of an issue about some people wanting to be legitimate or not. Bootlegging. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then in nine, and then in 1838, uh, they, it was sold to a new owner, uh, Thomas uh, Buchanan, for um, approximately uh, two thousand one hundred sixty-three dollars uh, back then. So approximately in today's money. That'd be about $65,000. And uh, Alex McDougall, the son of uh, John McDougall, uh, ran the day-to-day operations. And he died in nineteen, uh, sorry, in 1853. And then it was co-ran by uh, Colin Hay and the McDougal sisters of Margaret and Flora, making them the first female, uh, I guess, uh, proprietor. Well, I'm not sure if they were really the proprietors, but people who ran a, a scotch distillery. Uh, 1887, they put out, uh, 1.1 million liters, which is equivalent to 250,000 gallons. 1980, uh, 1911, that's when our finally became trademarked. And then in 1922, uh, Alexander McDougal and co buys our for 19,000 great, great British pounds, which was about 22,800 USD back in 1922, which is the equivalent <laughs> Of $569,000 today. Could you imagine buying a big time like Scotch distillery for like a half a million dollars today? That'd be a damn today, still. Today, no, but. It'd be a still, wouldn't it? <laughs> it absolutely would when you consider their output. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, 1977, Hiram Walker acquired Arbeg. And then they allowed it to close down in 1981. So, uh, and it actually kind of devastated their that local economy. Then in 1987, Allied uh, Lyon or Allied Lions, I'm not sure, probably nailed it, got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they acquired Arbeg from Hiram Walk, uh, Walker. And then in 1989, it started producing, two years later, uh, s- small batch uh, scotches. And then in 1991, it closed down again. And then one of, I think one of our favorite distilleries, I think, uh, since we've tried so many of them, Glenn Morangi uh, purchased them in 1997 and then they started full production with Arbeg. And, uh, and then 1998, uh, Arbeg was voted the best, uh, dis- voted the, uh, distillery, the of, the distillery year. of the year. 
And I guess from there, the rest is kind of history. I mean, they've been making like great bottles and uh, expanding, and so it's kind of good to see that. Uh, they do have like three main tours. They got the tour and we taste, uh, which is uh, approximately fourteen dollars and fifty cents. It's uh, an informative and fun tour of the distillery with a dram of your choice from the core range at the end. Uh, then we got the dram good time, which is approximately. Uh, <laughs> $78 and it lasts about 1.5 hours or one and a half hours. During this fun tasting, you'll sample five art bags, young and old, and you'll discover the whiskey creation process behind a dram uh, from the new make spirit to cask samples to hard to find art bags. Your knowledgeable guide will inform and amuse you while uh, revealing the stories in each glass. And then we got the core range tour and tasting, which is about uh, 30 USD or $30. And that's also a 1.5 uh, or one and a half hour tour. And here it's a detailed tour of the distillery followed by a tasting of five different drams of their core range. So you're talking about the five-year We Beastie, the Arbeg 10, uh, Arbeg Anoa, Arbeg Ugadol, and I believe the Arbeg uh, Corivec and um, and then they also have something called the rock tails, uh, basically for like six bucks. And it's just like having a, going there for a cocktail. Uh, any case, uh, if you, I guess if you're going to go do a tour, I probably would go with a dram good time. Hour and a half, 90 minutes, 5,400 seconds. Well worth every one of those seconds for sure. And you get to choose which ones you want to try. So that's, <laughs> that's the best part. Top shelf, top shelf, top shelf, top shelf. Because <laughs> I know definitely Ugadol would be one of mine. Oh, yes, for sure. Especially comparing them neck and neck uh, next to each other. Neck so, and neck it. <laughs> neck and neck it. With that, uh, one of the things I really do appreciate about this box and with some of our big uh, when we think about a little bit about their history and not that we have enjoyed all of their scotches they have been on the top 10 of our lists i'm sure and they have also been on the bottom 10 uh, but with that they have done an amazing job with this box and then also with just taking a moment and really spelling or or, or saying a few things that are very um, emotionally involved here or artistic if you will so on the back of the box it says try van from the ardbeg distillery to port ellen and beyond follow the rocky coast and you will discover the heavenly vista of try van the beautiful beach known locally as the singing sands for this captivating place has white soft sands that sing beneath your feet a hum that ebbs and flows with the winds and the tides but beguiling as the place is do not drop your guard bathing it ill is wise in the seemingly tame crystal waters where jagged volcanic rocks pierce the sands along the shore so it sounds like you're great on the shore the second you, you step into that water you're gonna be cut <laughs> your feet are fucked <laughs> <laughs> Done, son. <laughs> Old Nessie's going to get you now. No, no cake by the ocean here. Yeah. Oh, man. 
<laughs> Always want some cake by the ocean. <laughs> Not this place, though. It doesn't sound like. No. <laughs> Although the white soft sands sound amazing. Maybe that's protective. Maybe that's how you don't have to worry about Maybe. Uh, the Loch Ness monster coming up. Because even the Loch Ness would get uh, cut up by the I volcanic I would say that cake rock. would be a one and done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened to him? I don't know. I think he had some cake by the ocean. <laughs> Great song, by the way. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. All right. Well, without further ado, let's break into this art bag. Um, as we've already mentioned, this is a delightful box. It is stark. It is contrasting the white, the black, the gold. There is texture all along. And uh, within is the bottle uh, 2019 Tri Van. And here's something that's very interesting to me. They stay very true, no matter how impressive the scotch is itself or may not be, <laughs> to their body, their body, their bottle shape and style. Um, it is a very attractive bottle. I do actually really enjoy the addition of the batch number on the bottom. Good coloring with this green. And man, uh, man, just holding it, I, I feel like I'm I'm standing on those white sands holding an ice cold glass of something delicious to drink you know i think anytime you have a special release of some sort i think it's kind of good that they do put like the batch numbers which was kind of disappointing last week it really was the lagavulin distillers 2022 not having that where in previous years it did it was exciting like which batch did you get i don't know let's go take a peek <laughs> yeah and so i think it's great that they actually show like which batch that it is on there all right, 46.2 alcohol by volume. We have mentioned here um, that Arbeg is nestled along the coast of Isla, the island of Isla, uh, just down the way from Lagavulin. Um, also right by Lafroig. I'm sitting there wondering if it's going to be a plastic top. Dude. Yeah. Well, at least it's got some texture, but it is a plastic top. I mean, that that once again, you're saying how they hold true to their like, their their style. That is kind of like like they use the plastic top with the real cork. So when you were speaking of the history, I actually truly appreciate some of the things they've done that others have not. So they have gone through and they have done uh, a version we enjoyed the uh, taste buds punked churd <laughs> so with that the hardcore um the art big hardcore that was an interesting scotch it was a little different but i think that it's nice to me i think that it's wonderful that they're trying new things new flavors and adapting you know having female managers a lot of distilleries now scotch in scotland in particular scotch distilleries though have female managers and um it, it's it is a brave new world uh the one thing uh i noticed about the uh, our heart uh the arbic hardcore is like their label actually didn't follow if i remember correctly it didn't follow the traditional label like they have on most of theirs right and it was a one-off with the bottle Still held pretty true. Yeah, it did. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to see what we can see here. True to their taste. Solid. 
oak cork not pressed. Pretty good color. It is. Ooh. All right, I guess it's time for our warp speed. Cheers. Cheers. Our big uh, Trivon, uh, or Trivon, I was like, I like to say, obviously I butcher it, but Trivon. It should Trivan, be Trivon. It should, I think it should be Trivon, but uh, Trivon. Uh, I, I am super impressed with this Arbeg. It's not like some of the other Arbegs. And uh, the only, like, I think the this might even be better than the one I like the most, which is uh, the other ones we tried, which is uh, the Arbeg Ugadol. I think I like this one more than the Ugadol. It is a... Uh, and it is an excellent, excellent bottle. Um, what I would say is, have you ever imagined having like the uh, the kind of like grilled pineapple that you get at uh, Rodigio or uh, at Rodigio and then dipping it into like the uh, like a chocolate fondue and eating it? That's what this is, dude. This is uh, basically a spicy <laughs> grilled pineapple dipped in chocolate fondue scotch there you go uh, and that's the way i'll uh, wrap that up right there i'm done i'm just joking <laughs> hot damn uh so i need some fondue uh, <laughs> right so this right here on the uh on the color i put uh light gold and uh and i i i <clears throat> According to one of our uh, com uh, people who commented on our uh, on one of our previous uh, episodes, which I do greatly appreciate. Thank you, Whiskey Four. I think that's what I'm gonna. That's what I call you, anyways. Is Whiskey Four? Uh, I do greatly appreciate it. And uh, I saw a little bit of the flaw, just going straight like one, two, three, four from like light to dark color amber. So I did give this one uh, uh, a four. On the color, I thought it was a nice kind of like co color there. Um, I did enjoy that. I gave the presentation of the box a four uh, because it, once again, I don't think it quite hits the five mark. It wasn't like super intricate; didn't have much wood or anything else with that. Um, <laughs> she likes wood. <laughs> she does like wood. <laughs> um, but uh, so I gave that a four too. But now we're going into the aroma, right? This is a, a, a thirty point scale here. And on the aroma, I put smoky pineapple with mocha, pine, uh, peat, and sea breeze. And it's kind of nice because it's like you get that like nice smoky sweet pineapple uh, smell to it. And then it kind of like I get a little bit of like that chocolate mocha uh, scent in there and a little bit of pine and that, that the peat that you get normally from like an art bag. And then you get that nice, refreshing sea breeze that kind of comes along with it. It makes for a well-developed and very complex uh, aroma. 
uh, which uh, and it, and it's kind of nice too because like every time I smell it, I always get like something a little bit different kind of pokes out. And I don't think I got I've captured all the flavors or all the different scents that are actually in this Arbeg. Um, but the ones I did capture, uh, I definitely enjoyed, and, I, and it's very well welcoming uh, to the Scotch. And uh, that's another thing, though. You know, like when you get like like the Arbeg Ten or like even like Lagavulin or something like that, they are like uh, you know like that 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 heavy pee and the smoke and whatever, where people get like that band aid smell or whatever. This does not have that whatsoever, which is nice and refreshing, especially coming from Isla. And I think it does highlight some of the like the the type of great Scotch that you can't come uh, or that you can't get from Isla. Now the pilot, uh, the pilot, the palate. Um, here again, I think uh, the first thing that hits my uh, hits my front palate here is that is that uh, sweet pineapple smokiness there from that smoky pineapple that you get that you get from like the uh, that grilled pineapple, like the grilled chili pineapple. I think is what they serve there at Rodigios. So that's like the first thing that hits my tongue, and then that creates that kind of like sappiness right there that kind of coats your mouth and then that kind of follows up with like a little bit of mocha and brown sugar and that sweetness is uh, it's not overly powering it's just really nice and mild sweetness uh with that smoke going in there and then i started getting like hints of like tar and pine and then uh and a little bit of smoke and that all leads into the finish where what mainly stands out to me is campfire smoke on my finish. And as you and I are talking, I totally agree with you. It's like that good campfire smell. It's not like the, the campfire smell that gets on your clothes and you're like <laughs> the next day with it, as you were pointing out. It's like that, that uh, you know, when you think of camping, you get that nostalgic uh, kind of like feeling of like a campfire and how great it is and like cooking your s'mores and all that kind of junk. It's like that kind of, kind of campfire smell and not the one where you're getting suffocated by the smoke smell. And also with that, I get like maybe like a hints of almond and pine needles. Once again, the pine, pine, pine needles kind of resurface a little bit there for me. And it gives me a nice medium finish. And the one thing I, I noticed here that's not as uh Prevalent as in like some of the other R bags, you I don't really pick up like that heavy uh, peat there on the finish. Uh, so, but to me, it's just more like the campfire smoke with like hands of uh, pine needles and almonds, and uh, it, excuse me, and it creates just that nice medium finish. I think it's excellent. So, on the aroma, I gave it twenty-eight out of thirty. On the palate, I gave it also twenty-eight out of thirty. <laughs> on the finish. Because I think the finish could have lasted a little bit longer. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, I gave out a 27 out of 30, so that gave me a grand total of, if my math is correct, 91. Your math is correct. So, uh, honestly, I I don't remember what you paid for this. <laughs> or, uh, But if you do happen to come across it, I think it's like right around the $300 range. So, if you do come across this and you have like 300 and something to spend on it, I highly recommend it. I think it's a great bottle. It's a bottle that you're going to enjoy the complexity of this uh, scotch, and it's not going to let you down. Like, and like I said, even though I took a quick snapshot here, I'm not picking up every. Not, I'm not picking up all the different aromas. I'm not picking up all the different flavors in the palate. Um, these are just the ones that kind of stood out to me. And there's, and it's a lot more complex than what I I put in here. But if I was going to say, if I was going to wrap it up into like a short little nugget, if I was going to like throw it onto a uh, 
onto an ad that was like uh, on Instagram that only had like so many letters or whatever that I could put in there. I put grilled smoky pineapple dipped in uh, chocolate fondue. That's how I would summarize this, and I think it's excellent. I love it, and it's, it has great complexity. I, I I agree. When I think of this scotch, there is something absolutely underlying through the the, the nose, the palate, and the finish that is big, but it is not the brash big that I also love. Um, this one is more delicate, more complex, but at the same time, very, very bold. And with today's current situation, both economically and socially, I think Ardbeg nailed this for an entirely different reason. When you think about the fact that the, the Trivan um, is this beautiful beach known as the Singing Sands, this is all about experience. And that is... Uh, what this scotch is to me it is an experience it is not just another whiskey or another spirit it is an experience that as i think about it i literally dive into the thought of drinking this scotch in front of a fire after the sun has set on a beach it is fantastic and it, i think they nailed it with this one this is a, a great scotch for for me and yes you were absolutely right right around the 320 mark was what i paid thank you total wine for always you know keeping our receipts on <laughs> your app on our phone so i can look it up and see what i paid before tax um the presentation man the box is a five but the bottle to me is just a four and that's tough um because it's also a great bottle Ardbeg has not gone wrong with any of this but it is not um a, a five at this point nothing short of a, a four and a half but we're going to stick with a four since we're sticking with whole numbers on this point scale so presentation of four for me the color i also love for me medium gold and four out of five it is great it looks inviting it is definitely something that reminds me of a beautiful warm summer day on a white sand beach uh, for the nose um and i'll just read off the points as i go along the nose was a 28 for me as well and right off the bat i get the sea spray the smoke um, a little hint of toffee and then lemon and lime zest. And that is part of what opens it up and helps make the, the nose smell clean to me. And then it's interesting because the opposite of what I would consider normally a clean scent would be pepper. But it's right there with the lemon and lime zest. So it is, again, inviting, um, delicate, but also bold. The palette is where this scotch shines. Um, not that it didn't shine on the nose. And I loved your description. It is, first off, full-bodied. It starts with this sea spray or brine right at the front of the palette with smoke 
interlaced in intricately involved and i like those two together i'm like smoking a cigar on a warm beach where the waves are are crashing and um you get that that feeling of the moisture hitting you that is what this is with the smoke in intricately um laced in between it again um and then on the palate the lemon lime zest so it comes out and you've got the brine and a little bit of smoke and then this lemon zest and lime zest and then that honey coating flavor um, you talked about it coats your mouth or um, you used a different term but for me it's like honey all of a sudden coats the mouth and it goes very sweet from this um, refreshing zest to more of a pepper um, and smoked sugar or smoked honey really brown sugar smoked brown sugar Mm. And then on the finish, it is, for me, the finish is pretty long. And with that comes, again, you got brine, but you have, or I have, clove coming out. Um, the slightest hint of pine. And what I think I like about that is typically it's a pine log you're burning in that fire on the beach that you smell the next morning. Not the bad smoke, the good smoke. And... Yeah, it does with me finish with just that mm, smoked wood and the ever so slightest, I don't even know if it's peated, but the ever so slightest hint of peat, not band-aid, but peat. Um, for me, therefore, the palette is a 28. The finish was also a 28. Total score, 92. That's pretty funny. You got a 92, I got a 91. It's pretty, I, I could have easily put a 28 on the finish. Um, I would take it to a black tie affair because I do think the box and the presentation screams black tie. <laughs> I would not take it to a poker event <laughs> because I'm selfish. And I would only uh, share it with very super close friends that uh, enjoy scotch. Otherwise, it'd just be something I would hoard. Uh, but that the only reason why I would take it to a black tie event and not hoard it is just because the presentation screams black tie affair. Uh, like that black and white box. You think of like a nice tuxedo, you like you know white on black or white on you know like or just the straight traditional black. I, I just you know to me, yeah, I would do that, but. Otherwise, I'm hoarding it and keeping it for myself or me and some very close friends. And I forgot to mention that on my, on my ending of mine. Yeah, I would uh, take it to a black tie event as well. It would have to be a pretty damn special poker game for this to go. But, you know, if uh, Daniel Craig wants to sit opposite me and uh, try our bond luck out, I would be happy to bring it to that. But otherwise, it is not... For the faint at $320, it's not inexpensive. It is not a cheap scotch. It's also not for someone who won't appreciate it. Please do not give this to someone who is going to shoot this like it's something they don't want to taste because this is meant to be enjoyed. Savor yes, savor it. We're not trying to endure a shot. We're trying to savor every last sip. It's time for our shout-outs. I'm going to skip the shout-outs and the get-togethers this week. <laughs> I have a lot of them politically, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let you move on. You can say your shout-outs. I actually didn't have a shout-out this week. <laughs> uh, 
I, oh, I am curious. I was just thinking, man, neither of us mentioned anything about Formula One. Oh, shout out actually, shout out, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a total shout out. I totally forgot about Formula One. Alonzo. Uh, Fernando, Alon- wait, Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso. That dude totally gets a shout out. Like, I watch, okay, so. And I'm going to give, like, not only is this a shout out, a shout, a shout out, but it's also going to be a get it together. So. I was invited to uh, join a uh, F1 fantasy league. Nice, and uh, I can't figure it out. I can't. Oh shit! Like, it, 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 like, <laughs> like I got, I got my team set up, <laughs> but for some reason, like when I go to log in to like join the 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 league, it never accepts me. Like I, I like it shows my team. It was like really weird. Like it looked like I was in it, but like I'm not in it. Like so, when I go into the league, it doesn't show my team at all. Huh. So. I'm gonna give myself a get it together. Like I, I can't figure out <laughs> how to join this this F1 league. I do have an F1 team though on my parents. Uh, parents please, please tell me nothing. Mercedes is currently on your team. No, <laughs> uh, and they got. Uh, well, I do have. I do have one Ferrari. I have Sands. So I, I chose uh, Verstappen as my main guy. Cheer hashtag winning. Uh, yeah, uh, and then I got uh, Sands, uh, and then I also got uh, Alonso. And then I forget who the other two guys were, but all all five of the guys I chose all finished in the top ten. So I'm uh, guessing Russell, George uh, no, Russell. Really? No, um, it was a. Uh, I had to take one guy who was like really really cheap, but he actually made oh. it to the top ten. Uh, and oh. my two uh, constructor uh, was Red Bull and uh, and Austin Martin. Can't go wrong with Red Bull. Austin Martin is, for me, currently the surprise of the season. But what I think is wonderful about this is Alonzo started aging quite some time ago. And that is just, unfortunately, a natural fact. We will go through different cycles in life. And I do believe Hamilton has hit the one of those rings around the tree has been added on. And he is facing new challenges in life. Michael Schumacher did it. Kimi Raikkonen did it. Uh, Hockenin did it. Uh, Coulthard, David Coulthard, all of these great racers that I have watched for many, uh, many of them, most of their careers, if not all of them, they all went through these different cycles and you have to, uh, to learn and grow and adapt and things start to go. And I think uh, you, as you were telling me about the race, I have not had the opportunity to watch it yet. Uh, as you were telling me about it, though, it's like, oh, Alonzo and Hamilton playing in the back of, or the middle of the field, so to speak. That's that's real. Yeah, they were playing, and then like Alonzo pulled off a pass in a corner that you normally wouldn't see a pass. I think it was like <laughs> I think it was like a turn ten or something like that. And then uh, he did a, another excellent pass to take over Sands to take third place. Uh, yeah, he did an excellent job. Uh, There's actually a couple of, like really great battles in there too. Uh, so it was like it was really fun to watch. And it was the first uh, race of the season. It was Brain. I think it was the draw. Brain. 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 Right. I'm just using the Trivion. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, uh that was like the shout out definitely goes to Alonzo on F one. And I thank you for your money about that because I totally spaced it out. And it was funny too, because like I was in there texting you like uh like every time like there was a good pass or whatever and who was like in first and all that. So and I'm like, dude, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I wasn't excited to to hear the good news in many cases, but um, I don't have a shout out or a get together, but I will tell you, everyone from my work 
had one get it together and it was for the Mercedes team and Total Wolf and Lewis Hamilton to get it together. They're like, they got the car all wrong. And I'm, I'm, I, uh, whose engine is Austin Martin using? I don't know. Is it Mercedes? <laughs> uh, I, here's what, if I was going to give it a, a get it together though on a team, I'd have to give it to Ferrari. Like, how do you like screw up your engine again? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, from what I saw, at first they thought it was a power failure, but it turned out to be an engine. Failure. It, well, it was electrical. Like okay, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. We'll see if it happens again, because really. It, if it's the first couple races of the year, you have a few, few problems, man. We're stopping. Had those problems last year. Still won. <laughs> Two years in a row right now. Oh, and also, man of the season. I forget who. Uh, I think uh, Norris. I think he drives for uh, Alfa Romeo. Maybe. Or it was either. Or maybe it's McLaren. Anyways, Norris. He needs, like... Him and his team needs it. They need to get it together too. He had like something like five or six uh, pit stops before he finally retired. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. I do like the Alfa Romeo's new design though. The I colors. Like, I, I do like that kind of like uh like I don't know, it was like a maroon red or something like that. That darker red that they have. I thought that looked really nice. Maybe it's like a dark cherry red. Um. Yeah, I look forward to watching it. I'm gonna watch it with Aiden this weekend. Uh, the brain or the the new one? The, uh, Is the next race already this weekend? I thought we had a two weeks pass. If we don't, yeah, I'll just watch the new one. <laughs> I don't know if the new one's uh, this weekend or not. Restaurant review. So we had. Now I may be wrong, but I think it was Pat's. Philly, Pat's Philly cheesesteaks. All right, and uh, yeah, basically off of uh, Dayton and Arapaho. Dayton and Arapaho. Yep. Now, uh, do you, you want to go first? Uh, you can, I guess. No, go for it. All right. So uh, Pat's uh, Philly uh, cheesesteaks is really originally opened up by uh, Patrick Neely, who uh, was born. I think he's born and raised in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, he started cooking uh, chili cheesesteaks uh, since he was 13 years old. Uh, he eventually moved out here to Colorado, opened up uh, the original shop, which I think is off of Iliff. And then eventually opened up some other uh, satellite uh, stores. So we went to one of the satellite stores there off of Dayton in Arapahoe. And honestly, it, it's like a small, the, the place we went to is like a small hole in the wall type of shop. Like something you would expect to see in Philly, getting a Philly steak cheese uh, for some of the places I've been to. And really like when it comes to like cheesesteaks, Philly cheesesteaks, I really love Tony Luke's uh, cheesesteaks. Uh, I know that's not one of the uh, top two that you, like most tourists go to. But uh, when I was living, uh, when I, I wouldn't say living, but I guess I, when I was working out there, uh Everyone from Philadelphia, I was asking, like, where, you know, if I wanted a cheesesteak, which one do I want to go to? And they all, rec like, everyone that I worked with, all recommend Tony Luke's. So, and I was very pleased with Tony Luke's. This place wasn't as good as Tony Luke's, but I think it's probably, like, one of the better Philly cheesesteaks I've had outside of Philadelphia. And uh, they had, like, a nice list of different options. I got the... Uh, 
uh, green chili uh, cheesesteak, which is kind of like a, I would say like a Colorado twist on a cheesesteak because they had a uh, hatch green chili. And I did a six inch uh, sub there. And then I did the uh, six inch, uh, the Italian stallion to kind of ke- keep up with the, uh, with the theme for tonight's uh, smart challenge, which is Creed three. So as we know, uh, the Italian stallion is uh, Rocky Balboa. And uh, that was the uh, meatball Italian sausage uh, with marinara and provolone and uh, Parmesan cheese. And that was excellent. So, uh, the uh, hash green chili uh, cheesesteak, it was good. Uh, it was big, uh, and uh, I would definitely recommend it for anybody who wants to go there. But I think the next time I go, if I don't go with, like, the meatball or the Italian stallion, I will go with just a normal cheesesteak just to try that out because I, I would think that uh, just because of how the uh, hatch green chili one was, the original uh, cheesesteak must have been phenomenal. The bread was great. Uh you know, it wasn't quite what you get on the East Coast, but it was still a pretty good piece of bread that they put these uh, sandwiches on. <laughs> and uh, they also have crab fries, which I haven't really seen, uh, except for when I was out in Philadelphia and Baltimore area. Uh, and those were excellent. Um, although they do serve it with the like the fake cheese stuff that I don't like anyway. So, But the, the fries themselves I loved. Um so it's more of like a uh, since it's more of a hole in the wall place. I wouldn't necessarily say it is a uh, like a medium to high end, but I felt like I paid like a medium uh, price range just because we tried like I tried the you know two different sandwiches and uh, and fries, and the fries are actually more probably split for two people rather than one person. Huge, and uh, but with, even though with the two sandwiches, I'm gonna you know. I'm going to say the food was a solid, like, for the type of place it was, fast foody type of place. I, w- I would give it the fast food rating based on the fact that it was so reasonably priced. That yeah. was insane. So the fast food, I, yeah, I'm going to say it's in the fast food category, but I'm going to give it like a nine, the fast food category. The uh, the actual, like, ambiance of the place, it reminds me of, like, a hole-in-the-wall Philly place. So I'm going to give that an eight because – Honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of tables in there to sit at. So, but, you know, I wish it had like a little bit more, you know, a little bit more seating. But it like, you know, seemed like a Philly place. So I'm giving it an eight for that type of ambiance. And um, the way the people were friendly there, I'm going to give that like a kind of like a, maybe like a six or, you know, I mean, like it was nothing special. Um I did feel like I don't know why I did it because I, I I don't really tip on these like uh, on these fast foodie places, but here I kind of felt like it needed a tip. I don't know why, but I did do a little bit of a tip on this one. You're just swinging it, <laughs> yeah. Just but, talk. <laughs> <laughs> any case, uh, overall though, for the overall experience, I'm going to give it an eight uh, for overall experience and food. I really did enjoy their Philly steak. And uh, you know, Pat, uh, in the in the article that I read in the West in the Westworld Westward uh, for Denver, uh, I, I looked up. Uh, they have an article for the ten best cheesesteak places in Denver, and Pat's was on there. And apparently, Pat uh, takes his time to train all of his different cooks, so that way they become uh, sandwich artists, is what they say. And I think they did a great job of making a great sandwich. So I, I'd say they do hold up to whole sandwich artists. So. I'm going to give it a solid eight. For me, 
it was a pleasant surprise because as you mentioned, this place literally looks like a dumpster fire hazard <laughs> from the parking lot because the parking lot parking is lot might rough. be a Philly too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think actually I don't think to me, as you have mentioned, it absolutely fit the role of many a cheesesteak shop in Philly. I didn't spend half as much time, a fraction of the time only that you spent there, but I visited every cheesesteak place I passed just to compare. And what I typically experienced was just that. It was basically like a fast food type of arrangement, nothing high end. Um, prices were always reasonable. And I love that when you think that you pay a lot for a good ribeye steak, and the best chili cheesesteaks, Philly cheesesteaks, are ribeyes sliced super thin into these sandwiches. Um, for me, the atmosphere, again, we're going to consider this on the low end of the restaurant spectrum, so it's not um, high end by any means. It's also not middle of the road, and part of that reason is the value was outstanding. Uh, for me here, the value was a 10. Honestly, the value was a 10. Uh, and with that, I ordered way too much food. I ordered the six-inch cheesesteak, and I got uh, pepperoncinis and uh, cherry peppers, and um, it was a little spicy, not too spicy, hot and delicious. You mentioned the bread was fabulous, and the cheese was just Actually, the cheese was exactly like I experienced in Philly. They, they nailed it. Um, I had, as a second six-inch sandwich, the meatball sub, the Parmesan, oh, stood out. The meatballs were fantastic. Um, by this point, though, I'd already eaten one very large sandwich, and uh, it, I, I was getting to the point where, much like yourself, I had the crab fries, and I loved their fake cheese. It was perfect, but I was so full, I could only eat half my fries. I couldn't finish the bread for the second six inch um you know when you think about subway nowadays charging 10 bucks or so for a foot-long sandwich i would absolutely go here over there um value wise pay the extra couple of dollars and have it made hot and fresh like it was um absolutely fantastic Food for me was a nine. Um, the fries were perfectly crispy. And I know you didn't care for the cheese like I did. I loved that fake cheese flavor because the fake cheese flavor was so great. It tasted like it had a little real cheese in it. <laughs> um, and then uh, the service, what do you expect from fast food? I thought the same thing after that. I was I'm like, why did I just give to these people 20% just to call my name and take my order? But eh, that's like the new standard after. After COVID, it's it's uh, unfortunately you better just consider whatever the prices are on almost any order, adding twenty percent. Um, God, if only more countries were like Germany. <laughs> And uh, so for me, the service was an eight. The food was a nine. The atmosphere, ah, that was the one opportunity. Still more welcoming and kind of warm than um, some, uh, but definitely very Philly-oriented. So a seven overall. For me, it is an eight. And, you know, what I'm, here's where it gets tricky. It's a high score. I want this food for myself. But it is not meant to impress anyone who doesn't just want a great 
you know, Philly cheesesteak. If you know someone, whether that's a date or a friend who wants a great Philly cheesesteak and doesn't care if they're sitting on what looks like $2 steel stamp chairs on a $10 table um, in a rough spot that has a couple pieces of flare up on the walls, um, you're in because they, you will not go wrong with the food. But the atmosphere, even though it's so high, like it's not sexy. Not sexy at it definitely all. definitely is not sexy. <laughs> And I, and I didn't mention this. I don't, I don't know if I would take a first date there. It, oh, no. But here's the thing. Maybe if I knew she was from Philly, I might take a first date there. No, because pride, man. You know, oh, the East yeah. Coast and their pride, they're always going to be like, this ain't shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I probably would take a first date there. But would I meet a buddy there? Sure. See, and I would meet a buddy there, but that's where it just gets tricky because, again, the atmosphere wasn't bad it was just cold yeah i mean it's not a place like it's not a place where i guess you would like go to sit sit and eat really i mean it doesn't it just it only had two tables and then it had like a kind of like a bar with like maybe four more chairs there did it have outdoor seating i didn't think it I think, did i think it had a table outside so that would be the place to sit in the summer feeling more like feel you even more that would be a win yeah, so I think, yeah, because I think there was like one or two tables outside. Better yet, pick up a couple of subs or sandwiches here, cheesesteaks, and go over to Landron Cellars and eat in their, on their patio. That, or, you know, I was thinking, and I, I didn't think about this until after we drove away, but there's like a brewery like right on the other side of the building. That's a good point. Which, does, which doesn't serve food. <laughs> So you can go grab beer over there and probably like, order a Philly there Just and take, take it over there and yeah. have, have the Philly. There the we beer. go. That's all right. Diet Coke or, you know, soda was okay for tonight. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I like the place. I did too. The food was fantastic. So this week, our smart challenge was to review the movie Creed 3. That's right. So Creed 3, we're talking about, and Noah did the, the research here, 47 years of Rocky-themed movies in this franchise that had a reboot not terribly long ago as part of the Creed. And, man... We're ready for this. Let's go. All right, Creed 3. <laughs> body shot. Body blow. Body blow. Uppercut. Uppercut. Body blow. Jab. I think, I think I'm going to have to go for the whole bottle because I don't think I can get a glass. Of yeah. I, glass. Uh, I don't want to do that. I'll break that. Take me up, coach. <laughs> now, during the movie, Noah did notice and mention that there oh, is. This also keeps on track with our theme. Uh, so in the movie, when he's talking to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just great to see you turning the pages with your gloves on. Uh, where he's talking to uh, Jonathan, Jonathan uh, Mayer, whose uh, character is Diamond Dame Anderson. That's right, Dame. Uh, so when uh, uh, Donna's creating uh, Dane, uh, they're with well, Dame. Uh, when they're talking to each other uh, at his home, you see a bottle of Glen Morangi Signet and, to keep up with this here theme, an Arbeg. Not this Arbeg. 
It could have been, and I'm not really positive. I think it might have been our Big Ten, but it could have been the Ugadal or the Corey, Corey Beckin. But what's important is it wasn't this nice because we have more money. <laughs> Just saying. So, in any case, uh, so this is uh, the third uh, part of uh, our third, I guess, movie installment, installment of uh, of the Creeds, and. I don't know where should we start here. Like I, I'm not. I didn't really think about a good starting point. Other, what's your overall feeling with the movie? All right. So my overall feeling of the movie is that have you ever like? Just think about this. Have you ever like got like had like a a great dish that somebody makes, and uh, you ask them for the recipe, so they give you the recipe, and then you go home and you make it sometime later. And you cook it for yourself. It tastes good, but not as good as theirs. So here, this is what I kind of got from Creed Three. It's like uh, they had the recipe, the recipe of all the different like Rocky movies and the first two Creed movies. But when they made it and they cooked it, it didn't quite turn out as well as all the other ones. And I think this kind of brings up like the whole fact about there was a. Like uh, why Sylvester Stallone or Rocky wasn't even in this movie, because uh, there's been a, like a long time feud between uh, Stallone and Irwin, Irwin. yeah, Irwin uh, Winkler, yep, uh, who was the uh, guest longtime franchise producer of the Rocky series, and um, the new writers, which are Keenan Kugler and Zach Balin. Keenan Kugler, this is his first uh, his first time writing anything. Um, or actually, he actually is it, no, maybe it might have been his second time writing something because I think his other nope, this is his first time writing something. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the other guy, Zach Balin, this is his second time writing something, and the other thing that he wrote was King Richard. And so this also was the other guy's. Uh, so yeah, it's both of their second time because the other one wrote uh, help write. Um, Space Jam, New Legacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> no one knows, right? <laughs> but in any case... Space Jam, Creed 3. Yeah, I see the ties. Sloan <laughs> uh, has uh, been quoted as saying something... Uh, where is it at here? Uh, but basically, Sloan was saying uh, somewhere here in this uh, in this article uh, that's, that was, I found on Yahoo saying that he wants something that's, you know, more similar to, he's like a little bit more of a traditionalist, wants something that's a little bit more uplifting. He wants his heroes to go through a bit of a battle, but never get too negative and still come out on the end and being a, having a, like a positive feel to the meaning, uh, to the positive feel to the movie. Whereas the new writers said that they want to do more of a, Cape Fear type of like scenario and not and seem to have like a little bit more of a a darker twist, which is something like Sloan uh, didn't like, and so it seemed like there was like a little bit of friction friction there between not only uh, Winkler and the direction that they went with the writing, making it more dark to where he's like, yeah, I'm out. And I think by reading this article I saw here on, on Yahoo, it seems like I. He might feel a little bit depressed about not having to reprise Rocky again. Um, but at the same time, I think with Michael B. Jordan, this is his first time directing a movie. And I think he did a great job directing it. Uh, I think they did capture it being a little bit more dark than other traditional like Rocky movies or even the first two Creeds. And um, for his first uh, debut as a director, 
I thought he did an excellent job. It's interesting because I've seen that and we've talked briefly about it and you've mentioned it, and that is the dark piece. And what I don't see in this movie is actually the dark piece. I don't see the piece where there is true internal torment um, that someone is having to deal with. And you can say that Michael B. Jordan's character, Creed, Adonis Creed, is going through that, but I don't believe it's the same as it was, or at least if that's the case, he's not the actor sly stallone is when he acted the same role i don't see the same torment i don't see the same uh, fear and i think that that's really the thing that was most surprising to me that i really would have liked one of the scenes that had a ton of potential in this movie to me where it was good but it underdelivered was during the fight, the final fight. And you've got Dane and Adonis fighting. And I think it's round 11. It goes basically, there's no audience. It's basically black and white. And it's just the two of them seeing each other. See, I didn't like that at all. So I didn't either. And that's what I mean by it had a ton of potential. But it was a failure. That, that scene could have made the movie twice the movie it was, but instead I felt deflated afterwards. See, I think that's where the, that darker sense is supposed to come in is right there. That wasn't dark to me. Like what would have made it meaningful, impactful, dark is if they had the flashes of Adonis's mother being, you know, having passed away after she told him. Well, and that's where I think they, they like, dropped the ball. Because it like it's supposed to be dark, like you're saying, and I, and I don't think, and I agree with you. I don't think you see that that true turmoil happening. I just think what it had was like an overlying like dark cloud, like it's like it was ominous, but not like frightful or fearful. It just kind of like the mood, like when you watch like a Rocky movie, you're kind of like. I don't know. I would say you're like <laughs> you're giddy or happy, but like you, you like you see him go through like his. You know, you see the you see the hero's journey, right? basically and here well, heroes always fall at the end <laughs> here uh you you, you kind of it's just more just like it's it feels like it's weighted down throughout the whole movie and i think maybe that's what they meant by dark because it wasn't there's was nothing like fearful about it it just or nothing really dark about it, it just seemed like it was just kind of like more like weighted down just you know, it just had like a more darker theme about like him reliving his past of being like a little hoodlum yeah see i don't know why but maybe it's maybe this is just a piece of me none of that really stuck with me what stuck with me was you have this piece of the movie six minutes long roughly towards the end of the movie it goes black and white it has all the potential and they literally make it about them whereas what is it that they are. And then it goes into nothing. That's where I wanted the detail. I wanted, uh, you know, him, you know, seeing flashing back and seeing a picture of his father uh, flashing back. Uh, 
and um, Dane, you know, looking at, you know, the bars from the inside versus he's throwing Adonis against the bars. It was almost backwards because the the, the caged feeling was by the wrong person. And um, I didn't like the way it tried to impose. If Adonis ever felt like he was imprisoned and that was what that was supposed to see when he was thrown against the bars looking like he was in I, jail. To hell with that. <laughs> you know? I, I agree with you. <laughs> But I guess his like whole imprisonment uh, or what they're trying to show or display, I, and I'm just I'm just tossing this out here. I'm, I'm not sure this is what the writers were really going after, but in my assumption, they're they're the writers. I think were trying to go after like his him being encaged was his guilt that he got away versus where Dame got arrested. And, and I fully understand, but that. like I think they did a poor job of delivering it. It just had more potential. Now, that being said, whereas that one scene to me underdelivered, the rest of the movie was fun. It was a great experience. It was a great journey. And the only other piece of this whole experience, going to the theater and everything that I didn't enjoy, was that I haven't seen a an audience be so disrespectful to their atmosphere during a movie in as long as I can remember decades as the audience I saw this movie with. When the lights came up after I had sat down and enjoyed the movie and people were chatty and being disrespectful to each other in general, there was trash all over the theater floor. I was stepping on popcorn because I couldn't jump 12 feet to get over the spills. It looked like people had literally been throwing their buckets all over the floor. And one of the things that really stuck with me is, man, what is going on here? Is society changing that much? Is, you know, does this movie instill a, a desire and a demand and a request for respect or does it take it away? And that's another piece that I'm still trying to figure out for myself because as an audience, they're leaving this theater, assuming they see more than one movie. They're leaving this theater like that for the next ongoers and viewers. And ultimately at some point, if that cycle continues, that's them. They're treating these theater employees like dirt. And I don't, I didn't, it made me sad. That was the other thing about this experience that made me sad was how are all of these people, I, I go and pick up my trash and if I spill popcorn, I'm throwing it in my bucket and I take it back. And I literally was disgusted by the way these people were leaving this environment. Well, that's more like, that's more about the theater than the movie itself. And I, I, I see what you're talking about. Like my experience at the, at a the, at the two theaters, cause I saw it twice. One was that I saw it on IMAX, uh, on a, uh, Wednesday before like the Thursday release. And, and there was like 10 people in the theater <laughs> and, uh, they were all like probably, um, middle-aged or older people. And they, everyone was totally respectful. And then I saw it again, uh, and uh, I went to the uh, Dolby Digital at the uh, place where that's by where the Chinese Man Theater, or it used to be the Chinese uh, AMC now, I guess. Um, there are people like there once again only like probably like fifteen twenty people in there, not very many people, and yeah, no nothing disrespectful there. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I just I I don't understand because you mentioned it's not the movie, but 
at some point, what well, is it about that environment that it might be is allowing it, it? It could be about the movie. I'm not saying it wasn't about the movie. You're talking about the theater, but it could be maybe like, and this is kind of a touchy subject here, and I don't really want to broach it, but uh, approach it or broach it, but uh, uh, put a brooch on it. Put a brooch. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to breach it. I guess. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is that when you have a movie that has maybe one type of people in it. It usually attracts a lot of those type of people, and sometimes they may not be the most respectful. And, that's, and that can be for any group of people. So what he's saying is there are a lot of superheroes that go to the Marvel Universe <laughs> because they are doing billions that, of dollars. But anyways, <laughs> trying to like get off this subject altogether, one of my favorite scenes in the movie was when... Um, Dame goes to fight uh, Felix. Mm, and, I enjoyed that too. And the funny part, like, the, I think the kind of like the and is and I think it kind of holds true. Like uh, Felix is uh, either I'm not sure if he was Mexican or Hispanic American or Mexican American or whatever he was, but you can tell he definitely had some kind of like Mexican heritage to him. Uh, but uh, when they show when they pan the the uh, the audience in the arena for the boxing scene, they show like a lot of like Hispanics in there and stuff like that. And then he comes out like uh, like his whole walking uh, entourage where they're like blowing the smoke of like the like the Mexican flag colors and how he has like an Aztec head on and stuff like that. I thought it was kind of cool like how he had his his entrance. And then uh, and I think like I like this about boxing in general or like with these like rocky movies and stuff like that or you now creed movies is i do like the entrances <laughs> pro wrestling Roar! i think the interest i think the entrance going into the ring kind of sets the mood of like that fighter or kind of expresses like who they are right uh and uh and i think when you see dame when he goes in to go fight against creed uh i think he has like an old like 90 80s or 90s uh, rap song on because I it sounded like it was like Easy E or something like that and you saw like an old black lady kind of like a black skirt <laughs> you see like an older black woman like <laughs> dancing to it and stuff like that and then I think when you listen to Creed's intro uh, intro it's more like I've been here I worked myself up I like I defend myself I defend my family like when you listen to those lyrics like it had a meaning towards it and like the way his outfit was uh, it was kind of like it held to like. Uh, once again, to the Apollo Creed type of throwback of uh, the uh, USA uh, trunks, he had like kind of like the like the flag type of robe, and then when you see his trunks, it's uh, stars, stars and stripes, but it's all like white stars and stripes. I'm glad you brought that up because it was one of the most impactful wardrobe choices in this entire movie for me. Was Adonis's robe? as he entered the ring for the final fight against Dane. And with that, it was what you said. It is this red, white, and blue stars and stripes, but it had been weathered, it had been torn, and it had been mended. It was dirty, and not in a bad way, but in the used way, and I loved it. I It sent a message along it, with the song. It was very, that was probably the most sentimental part as far as just a visual influence uh, artistically of the whole movie to me, which is, yeah, 
Dame, you know, Dame was disrespectful and threw and threw Creed's mud, uh, Creed's name name through the mud and all that stuff. Yes, and yet, just like America has done, this is what I will actually. I am very proud of for this movie, Michael B. Jordan. Everyone who had anything to do with this, I think it stood true to. Yeah, America will go through hard times, but we will survive. We will thrive and we will stand tall as long as we are, are able so yeah i think the entrance into these like i think they show meaning of the characters it helps like build up that uh that uh, i don't know excitement and uh, anticipation of the fights um i think another really great scene i think you, you and i talked about this and i'll let you bring i'll let you Describe it because I think you did a better job of describing when we were talking. But the scene with Creed versus um, Drago. Oh, that was one of the greatest moments in this movie to me as far as uh, being a mature man and the relationships between mature men. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, this is spoiler alert. <laughs> we hope you know this. But at this point, Drago is in this movie and he is brought into this movie to help train Adonis to fight Dane. And when he's first introduced to... Adonis or Creed, um, the fighting is pretty, it's, it's limp. Yeah. It, Creed's not there, man. It's placid. It's, it's not happening. And it takes Creed taking a pretty good beating by Drago and Drago's at the point where he's like, I am tired of hurting this man who I know is, is more capable than this. Like he's not there. And he, you know, Creed's taking his beating. And then finally, um, it, it sticks and there's a point in his own life that hits him and he gets up and he's able to start getting his self back together and he hits Drago and he hits Drago hard. At this point, they've both taken off their head guards and Drago smiles. Drago smiles because he feels it and he checks it on his glove and Creed finally hit him hard enough that he's bleeding and there is an underlying story within this whole movie and that is whenever you are great if you had to fight for it at some point if you pretend to retire or if you pretend to give that up or anything else if you say you don't miss it you are lying to everyone else but more importantly you're lying to yourself and what this meant to me was this is Drago taking a minute and be like, yes that's the man who I lost to fair and square and yes god damn it I like that pain. And yes, this is what I want. Because even though this isn't a real fight, you're the one challenge I've had in my life that I, I still stand and have to fight. Yeah, I think it was, that was also a great moment. Um, the one thing I wish they would have done, uh, and, and, I, and I kind of brought it up at the very beginning, is I wish there was just a little bit more uh, references to Rocky. Or more than one. Yeah, more than one. <laughs> I, I mean, they only, they only name dropped him once, <laughs> and there's only three times I know like they kind of sort of all together, including that one name drop. Uh, so total three times where it kind of references Rocky. Like there's the while well, you know Apollo gave uh, an uh, an underdog a shot. Don't you? They didn't use Rocky's name. He, they just said Apollo gave an underdog a shot, which we all know is Rocky. Then. Um, 
then when he talks to Felix, I think he uh, he he convinces Felix to fight Damien because he's like, well, Apollo versus Rocky was one of the one one of the most watched uh, fights ever, and they're still talking about it today. So that was the one time they name dropped Rocky, and then the third the third time I saw him kind of reference something towards Rocky was right before he goes to fight Damien, where right before Creed fights Damien, where he's like one punch one step one round and that's kind of like a flashback towards uh the first creed when uh, rocky first starts to train him and uh honestly i just i wish like if they're going to remove rocky from the creeds which is fine i don't mind that you know you know uh michael b jordan wants to explore adonis's creed's uh, story further but it would have been nice if they gave a decent closure to Rocky to let us know like what happened to Rocky. Like, did he die? Did he just retire and decided to like spend time with his kid and grandson? Like, what what happened there? Like, like why are why are you guys not talking anymore? Like, he doesn't mention him whatsoever. It's almost like Creed forgot all about Rocky. Yeah, the the guy he needed in Creed two to get him back into shape to win the fight against yeah Drago. Now it wasn't needed at all. Yeah, it's like, you know, like, you know, when he's like going through his rough times in this movie, like, why can't you reference or think about, like, look at a picture of Rocky saying, man, I wish you were here. I wish you'd give me some advice or, you know, this is, you know, like, or have like a flashback of him looking at a picture of like some advice that Rocky gave him, you know, some something, you know, I don't know. It is tough because the. Uh I've been thinking about that same thing long and hard. And we know that between Irwin Winkler and Stallone, there's been this feud ever since Stallone. And this is where Sylvester Stallone, good, bad, or otherwise screwed up. He sold the rights to the Rocky franchise to Irwin Winkler for nothing, literally nothing. I know that he was like, Pretty much dead broke with the original rock. Right. And yeah, he even had to sell his dog. Right. And and that was Sly Stallone's piece. And he'd have all of this much more money and future money for his family and kids and everything else. And I think that's probably what burns him now. But he, we all have those points where we made that call. Stallone learned. He's created other franchises, which he has not done the same thing to. Um and it's just, it's one of those things. But at the same time, you think about the pieces that you mentioned. And those are truly honorary to Rocky. I just don't know if they gave Stallone the honors he might have deserved or needed. So in other words, Rocky and Sylvester Stallone are the same person on the screen. Off the screen, they're not the same. Yeah, person. and I still don't think they gave Rocky <laughs> a decent enough like homage. I guess, like I get like they're two different people, you know. One, but I'm like, I don't think it doesn't really seem like Creed really like acknowledges Rocky except for the one step, one punch, one step, one one round, and uh, him trying to sell Felix on taking an underdog. Um, which really kind of, I think, him telling Felix to take an underdog and using Rocky right there as an example, that seemed more like a salesmanship and like he wasn't really doing like Rocky's legacy and honor right there. Well, let's face it. Here's the other piece to this. I love that you brought this up right here, right now, because 
What happened when Creed fought Rocky the underdog? Hey, Felix, I want you to take on this underdog. What happened? Creed ultimately lost. Well, the first time Creed won. Right. Creed ultimately lost. So, by the way, I want you to take on this underdog. Ultimately, you lose, which is exactly what happened. Well, Felix got his butt kicked. He got destroyed. He, he did get destroyed. I honestly thought that this was going to be Rocky 4 all over again and that he was de dead. And the part of it that was most interesting about that exchange to me was how even as her son, Felix's mother, was watching him get his tail whooped and was like, you get him. Whoa, this is your baby. I don't, I about think. to get killed and you're saying go get him everyone else sees what's happening <laughs> go get him what go bring me that money mama want a new Prada <laughs> mama, mama was a gold digger M mama needs some Louis <laughs> Gucci don't pay the bills <laughs> uh, so I don't know I, I, I overall I think it was a good movie but I don't think it was like as good as what I would expect from like the first two creeds or like what I expect, you know, from like a Rocky movie. I don't know your thoughts on that. I'm still debating that because there were pieces I liked and I think Aiden's going to love it, but there are also pieces where more so than the, any dark side coming out, I still don't see a dark side coming out more so than that is uh, unless that was a tell of the future where Creed starts doing really dirty things. Uh, more so than that, um, it, it's tough to have a reboot, step away. Ultimately, Sylvester's loan has to be out of the picture anyway. And I thought the movie was great. I, you know, there was one scene that could have been so much better and would have changed the movie from just great to fabulous and that was round 11 basically in the movie i agree i think that one scene could have made a huge difference i just i think that could have been a little bit better um and then like i said i think they could have just i think they could have just done a better closure with rocky not stallone necessarily but just rocky the character like him explain like what happened with rocky I did, you know, and here's one thing we haven't really talked about, though. But his new trainer is uh, Little Duke, which was <laughs> the son of the trainer who trained Apollo Creed. So, um, and I think he did a decent job, but he was also in uh, Creed 2. And he's the one that, like, when he trained Adonis, got his ass cooked, kicked by uh, Drago. And then Rocky had to come in and save the day and train him how to beat Drago. But um, overall, I, I, it's a good movie. I think people should go see it. I enjoyed it. I, obviously, if, if I hated the movie, I wouldn't have seen it twice. Um, and I'll probably go see it a third time because I think there's a couple other things that I missed from the first two times that I kind of want to just recheck out one more time. Um, but it, uh, it's definitely one like, it, you know, I think it belongs with the Creed collection. If you already have the, the other two Creed movies, you might as well get this Creed movie as well. And it is as rewatchable as the other ones. I just think it's just, uh, it's doesn't, I think the feeling is different in this one. 
Uh, the formula is the same, but I think the feeling is different. And, uh, you know, that, that like I said, it's I liked it, but I don't think it – I'm not sure if it's right up there. I, it's weird because, like, I have unsettled feelings about this movie. Well, here, let me bring up a couple points that might help settle some of those unsettled feelings. A, we talked about this initially, and that was – you have to change your mindset entirely with this movie because it's no longer in Philly. It's in Los Angeles. It's in LA. It is. And then we have changed from the baby boomer generation to the millennials and Gen Z are the main viewers of this movie now, the people who are going to appreciate it. And let's face it, Adonis Creed's house in LA was the tits. It was. It was the tits. <laughs> I should ask you this. Do you, do you consider Adonis an L.A. fighter, or do you consider Adonis a Philly fighter? So after this movie, or simply considering this movie, absolutely 100% L.A. fighter. And the reason I say that is because he actually, this is truth, um, in my eyes, follows more suit to his father, Creed, who was that same fighter versus more of the Philly fighter. And I'm not saying Philly fighters don't wear suits. I'm saying it's a different suit. It's a different cut. It's not as, as, uh, as trendy, if you will. It's a little more classical. Uh, and with that, there are pieces of respect and disrespect that I do think are as simple and true as the fact that you say pop on the West Coast typically and you say soda on the East Coast. Um, there are different traditions and respects that you pay to women and people and others that you you don't risk one place that you do in another and vice versa. Was he a, was he a Philly fighter or an LA fighter when he, in the first Creed? See, I think he was always an L.A. fighter. I think what he learned that helped him escape his opportunities was that he became a Philly fighter or an East Coast fighter or more of a traditional fighter. And I think that that was my lesson learned in this movie was all along the Rocky movies, Rocky ultimately won because he stayed true to this. These are the steps. I don't know if that's necessarily true either because remember after um, Apollo Creed died and after Mickey died, he actually ended up being um, trained by Duke and the and the West Coast guys. So I think what I, I think right, it, but but that's just it. There are these pieces where at the end of the day, though, Stallone learned and was always this East Coast fighter. Uh, Creed learned and was always a West Coast fighter. And the only way they got to learn the other people's ways or methods or how to beat them was by experiencing something different. And honestly, after uh, the dirty fighting that Felix got his butt kicked by, I honestly thought Ad Adonis was going to go to like a Muay Thai or kickboxing gym and learn a couple moves there because I think that was actually the darkness I wanted out of it. I wanted Dane to take a cheap shot and Adonis to not only beat that cheap shot Noah was coming, but cut him back with his other elbow or his knee or so something. I kind of think he's more of a, uh, I think he's like a Philly-based 
with a uh, with West Coast flair. So yes, I do think he he uh, like outside of the ring, he's very much like his dad Apollo. But I think inside the ring, because he really got his like formal training in boxing, actually by watching Rocky beat his dad and Rocky movies because you, you see right. him box there. So he's following Rocky. But was he there. following Rocky or Creed in I think those he, movies? I think he was following Rocky. <laughs> I don't know. And then and then he actually gets trained by Rocky. So I think he's Philly based. <laughs> but 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 like like Rocky, because I think when you watch some when you watch his fights, he takes a beating like Rocky. Not like how Apollo really took beatings. Like B- Apollo was more of a true boxer, where I think Rocky was more of a brawler. Oh yeah, no Apollo. <laughs> and I you, think if you talk about like classic boxing, Apollo was the best of any of these people in any of these movies. He was much like Floyd Mayweather, yeah. where the guy any boxing match mayweather has won he deserved he was the better boxer and also one truth to this is that and i think uh, possibly adonis and creed three here are trying to pay respect to that is you have to take your time to get to round 12 as mayweather would if he needed to and win yeah but i think he takes a beating though like rocky does he gets to the 12 to wear out the other boxer and so that's why i think he's more philly based with 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 la in him I mean, that's like saying, hey, you from Philly, you stubborn. You're going to get your ass beat before you win. <laughs> what? But, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a kind of a, I think it's a good question. Like, what do you guys think out there? Like, if you're watching this this far into it, um, do you think Adonis is like a Philly-based fighter or is he an L.A.-based fighter? Or is he, I think he's honestly a mixture of the two. You got to come see it with me and my kiddos. They'll let you know their opinion. And they've got some good opinions because they are part of a different generation. And it's, it's fun to hear different perspectives. Again, I loved the movie. There was only one scene that could have elevated it for me. And it was that fighting scene. I I have mixed feelings about it. It it was so artistically potential. And then I was just at the end, I was like, that's it. Like maybe a flash of red. Give me some Sin City. I think think the one thing I really kind of needed to make it to me make it like a great movie was to give me closure on Rocky. I think like my biggest thing, my biggest thing about it is like, what happened to Rocky? Like we're Rocky. Yeah, we're Rocky. (laughs) So, anyways, uh, we're like, I'll I'll have to like cut some of this down. But if they've watched this much, though, hear (laughs) us say, drink responsibly. All right, so uh, any last words about Creed 3? No, I, again, I think it was a great movie. I did enjoy and appreciate the fact that they had the whole Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy group in there uh, with their Moet Champagnes and their Hennessy Cognacs and their Ardbegs and the Glen Morangies. He was driving Rolls Royces, the new Cadillac electric SUV, um, great cars, very flashy, as he should be, loved his house. These are things that make people appreciate things. Um, But at the end of the day, I think my biggest struggle with this movie was I look at Adonis and I question with everything that I know in my life, knowing that he's not that different in age in the movie for his life, how has he not learned more? He's been through a hell of a lot more than I have in most ways. How has he not learned more about some of these basics? And um, one of the best lines ever, and this is something Marissa has told me and pointed out time and time again, and 
Adonis's mother points it out in this movie. So it, it very much so was poignant is that people will tell you exactly what they are. You just have to listen. And so often when we know somebody and they tell oh, us something. Duke who said that. I, I think it was. No, it was Duke. Was it? Yeah. It was Duke right after Felix got his ass kicked. Uh, I thought it was. Or right before his ass kicked. I, I thought it was Adonis's mother with the letters. Nope. So, but Duke, if Duke's the first one to say it or the one to say it, that is a hundred percent true. People will tell you exactly who they are. Yeah, it's either like uh, right when he was talking with Felix to convince him to take the fight, or after Felix got his ass kicked. But it was Duke. Well, there it is. You can take that to the bank because that saying is absolutely true and uh, it's, it's interesting if you take a minute and you just consider that write it down look at it in the morning go to work and then ask people like who are you what do you do they will tell you and if you take the time to actually listen and consider it you can tell a lot about them true all right well that wraps up another episode of uh, Scotch Hour. Um, thanks, everyone, for watching us on YouTube. Thank you for supporting us on uh, Rumble as well and all the uh, audio platforms. We do greatly appreciate all of you. Please leave some comments if you'd like to be a patron member. Uh, there's a link down below. And uh, let you close it out. All right. So next week on Scotch Hour, the 10 best of Scotch Hour, years one and two. Our favorite 10 scotches, our favorite 10 topics, and the big one, our favorite 10 restaurants. So really looking back at 104 different experiences and which were the 10 best. And the scotch to go along with this, episode two, was the Oban Night's Watch. We do not have a new Oban to try at this time. Open does not open their portfolio and make them as readily available as some others. So we are going to go with the Dalmore 12 Sherry Cask. All right. Looking forward to that. Hell yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Remember, life is great. Drink responsibly. And. Scotchman. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.